0: associate pastor here at FCF and uh, in a few minutes we'll be looking at Galatians 5 and I just want to give you a chance to get out ahead of me and open your word the word of God there so if you need a Bible you're welcome to wave your hand and we'll try to get you one and if you take one you are free to take it home and you are free to read it no charge this morning uh, I I think I think there's a special day I think we can't start this day without honoring mothers, correct? And so although we wanna say happy Mother's Day, we also recognize that motherhood is a calling. It's, it's glorious. Many times it's recognized for its honor and it's delightful. And we recognize there's a flip side to that coin, don't we? That sometimes it's hard, it's often painful, and sometimes it's actually tragic. And so I wanna share some of the thoughts of our hearts, but I, I, just to be fair and to be true, I am borrowing words from a lady who is named Amy who was a missionary in China for many years, and she just captures it so well. Let me share these words with you, please. To those who gave birth this year, first child especially, we want to celebrate you. But we also recognize there are those of you who may have lost a child, and so we we mourn with you. And there are those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, and we appreciate you. Yes, we do. There are those who are foster moms and mentor moms and spiritual moms, and we recognize that we actually need you. There are those who have experienced loss, failed adoptions, struggle with infertility, and we grieve with you. We hurt with you. We know that there are some who have a warm and close relationship with your children, and we want to celebrate that with you. Flip side of the coin, we know that there are some who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, and we feel that pain with you. To those of you who live through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, well, we're better for having you right here in our midst. We're happy for that. To those of you who are stepmoms and stepparents, we want to try to travel that complex path with you. To those who will have emptier nests or empty nests in the upcoming year, we both grieve and rejoice with you. It's both glorious and painful, isn't it? And to those especially, let me finish with this, who are pregnant with new life, whether it's expected or a big surprise, we eagerly wait with you. We await with you. So let's pray for mothers. Mothers, well, Father God, we come and pray on behalf of mothers. Father, we recognize that this is a, a massive calling, a, a divine calling into motherhood, and so we recognize the mothers in our midst today today. And we want to ask you, Father, to encourage them, to give them strength, to sustain them in the long and arduous journey of motherhooding. Father God, we pray that you would indeed use mothers to share the gospel and press it down into the lives of children. And where there is pain and hurt and tragedy, Father, we ask that you would bring comfort and that you would bring help. And so we pray for mothers and we pray for them in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's good and it's right to honor mothers on this day that we call Mother's Day. But I want to remind you that it's also the Lord's Day. And on this Lord's Day, we are going to direct our attention to God's Word, which we always do when we come here to worship. We're going to open it up to Galatians chapter 5. And and in a moment, well, let me just tell you, let me give you a little spoiler. We're going to be talking about freedom. I mean, before long, it's going to be the 4th of July, right? It's going to be Independence Day. We're going to have parties. We're going to celebrate right here in America, the home of the free. And I I tend to think of freedom in categories such as financial freedom. I mean, who doesn't want to be free from a rent payment or a mortgage payment? You don't have to raise your hands. I know I do. I think of religious freedom, right, where we're not told how or who we must worship. We have freedom to worship in different ways. And I also think of political freedom, the freedom to advocate through a process for different ideas without having a tyrannical dictator tell us what we must do. So we have a lot of freedoms, and we should rejoice in those. Freedom is a noun, right? It's a concept. It's this idea of personal liberty, the idea of being free from slavery or bondage or serfdom. It has this idea of being set free or released from confinement or bondage. Now, generally, when people talk about freedom today, they're talking about this idea that there's no constraints imposed on me by any external forces, no constraints at all by anybody at all conceptually this idea is one where no set of beliefs or required actions can be imposed on me and you can't make me do them but in reality there is no such thing as freedom from all constraints I mean just for fun let's think about gravity let's think about taxes let's think about death you can escape them for a little while but you're not free from them right so maybe we should turn our attention and think carefully about freedom And just for example, if someone's set free from a jail cell, they step out in freedom, and they are going to enjoy that to the fullest. Or if a prisoner of war is emancipated from a concentration camp, they are going to rejoice in their freedom for the rest of their life. Or if someone is set free from an addiction, they are going to live in that with joy. You know, who wants to be addicted to either a behavior or a substance? Being set free from that is massive. And so I want you to think with me today about freedom, and and the truth of the matter is freedom brings a lot of liberties, it should be enjoyed, and it comes with responsibilities. And so as we go into this text today, Galatians 5, chapter 1, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, uh, I want us to read that text, and then we'll look into it a little deeper. Okay, so let's read that text together. Galatians chapter 5, stand by. Well, I get my Bible to the right place because you're ahead of me. You're planning ahead. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself let's pray dear god our father in heaven would you take these words and would you shape them into arrows that pierce our hearts that help us to understand how to live in freedom and what you expect from us lord we actually need your help in this next uh, minute and hour lord that you would uh, take your word and use it in our lives. And so we pray in the faithful name of Jesus, amen. Now let me take just a really quick minute to give you a little bit of background on the book of Galatians. This sets up the context so that you can travel with me and understand some of the things we've just read. First of all, the Gentiles in Galatia had largely accepted, or at least in the church of Galatia, had largely accepted the gospel from, Jesus, uh, from, from Paul, the gospel of Jesus Christ from Paul. Right? They had accepted this in the past, but now there's some agitators, and we refer to them as Judaizers, who have crept in, they've snuck in, and they are now upsetting things. And they are attacking Paul, and they are attacking the Galatians along two lines. First, they try to discredit Paul according to his character and his ministry, and they're trying to undermine him. Second, these agitators or Judaizers, they are preaching and sharing a false gospel, insisting that circumcision is necessary for salvation and they actually have a goal they want to overrule the freedom that people have and impose an old system that amounted not just to slavery but actually alienation from God so that's what's going on and, and you know the Galatians were they're normal people like you and I they had this idea this built-in human tendency to trust in themselves to trust in themselves, to impress God, to please God. They, they just fell into this like you and I might. They, they want to trust their own actions, and somebody on the inside is encouraging them to do that, prompting them to do that. And so, just like them, we have to be wary of this. We have voices all around us screaming at us, trust yourself, have faith in yourself, be yourself. And somehow, if your abilities and works are good enough, God will be happy with you. We have that tendency to fall into that trap. And and we have the tendency, if we're not careful, to find the gospel distorted and even put our salvation at risk. And that's why today as we go through this text, I want you to grasp three essential realities for living in true freedom. Three realities. First, to live in true freedom, you must stand firm in the gospel. To live in true freedom, you must trust in Christ for your righteousness. Righteousness. And finally, third point, to live in true freedom, you must love your neighbor. These are things that are in our text, and I want to help you see them in there. So so if you will, let's move to the first point here. To live in true freedom, you must stand firm in the gospel. Let me explain. Let's start with this idea of freedom in verse 1. Note that little phrase, very beginning of verse 1, for freedom Christ has set you free. You know, the weight of the world hangs on that little phrase. It's not incidental. You should see that Christ is the one who has taken action. The action he has taken is to set free or to release. Kind of the verb versus the noun. For freedom, the noun, Christ has set you free. And who is the recipient of that action? Can you see it in there as you read the verse? Us. And when he says us, he's referring to the believers in Galatia. But it's also, by extension, he's, belie- he's referring to believers through all times since then. Us, the believers. And what has he done? He set us free so we can live in freedom. right? And that should be obvious. What also should be obvious is if we don't live in freedom, we're living in something else. And I hope you can see that at the end of verse 1 as well. There's a contrast here that's spelled out by Paul. We can stand firm in the freedom of Christ that he gives us through the good news of the gospel. Or we can become slaves to something. You see the alternative at the end of the verse? Are you looking at your Bible? It says, submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now I'm telling you, that term, a yoke of slavery, it's a monstrous amount of history and law and tradition that the Jewish people lived under. For centuries, they had lived under this, this performance system, right? They had laws and sacrifices, they had ceremonies and festivals, they had traditions that they had to perform at certain times, and they're in this bondage, this slavery, they're, they're yoked to it. That's what, that's what he means by that word, yoked. We might call it, they're shackled to the law. And this thought process This idea of contrast between slavery and freedom that we see in verse one is is picked up in verse two and we have another contrast, circumcision versus Christ. The Judaizers come along and distort the freedom of the gospel by insisting that circumcision will give you a better standing in the eyes of God. Well, not just a better standing, actually they turn it into a necessary condition for salvation. And that's how they distort the gospel. They reintroduce an old system from the old covenant and they make it into this requirement. It's as if they say, you must add circumcision to your portfolio of good works and then God will be happy with you. And they hone in on this idea of a physical symbol of the Jewish people, right? Circumcision. Representing and pointing to the entirety of the law, really. Now you might have been reading ahead and you're reading closely and and I want you to read your Bible closely and you've already noticed Paul has no patience for this false gospel none whatsoever. In fact, he says if you place your confidence in circumcision or the law Christ is of no benefit to you. See that in verse 3? Now I want you to be aware that it's not the literal act of circumcision that it's the pros- uh that is the problem. Quite the contrary. It's the principle of requiring circumcision that is the problem. It's the principle of requiring something beyond salvation by faith alone and Christ alone that is the problem. You see, it's very clear from verse 6, if you just skip ahead, that circumcision or uncircumcision is irrelevant in the eyes of God. And Paul makes that very clear. I want you to follow along. You've got to stay with me in the text because there's this big logic train, this big train of logic that flows through verses 3 and 4 if we read them together. And it, it, if you are reading them, you're going to see that the, the argument runs something like this. So listen closely. You've got to follow closely. This is tough stuff. If, if you believed you were saved by Christ alone and then you are circumcised, you are returning to the law as your means for justification and salvation. And, if you turn to the law for justification, you have to keep the whole law perfectly. And, if you're doing that, if you turn to the law for justification, you are no longer under grace. Did you catch that in verse 4? Paul says you are severed from Christ. There is no relationship there. You are cut off from God. Paul says you have fallen from grace. You can't consider yourself hidden in Christ any longer. You cannot count on Christ as your means of salvation. That's what he says. Strong words. So requiring circumcision or requiring the law, it rubs against the gospel. In fact, it's a contradiction of the gospel. It's like slavery and freedom can't be the same thing at the same time in the same way. Or like oil and water, which are different in essence. You can put them in the same container, but they never truly mix. Or maybe we could think of it this way, let me say it this way, my words. There are two systems in the world by which we seek salvation for our souls. Two systems, there is the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or number two, everything else. Every other system, every other plan, every other means, every other device, every other religion is a false distorted way of coming to God And it puts you back into bondage. This is why Paul commands that we stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are sitting here right now thinking, what does all this Old Testament, Old Covenant law stuff have to do with me? It has nothing to do with me. In fact, you're probably thinking now is a really great time to take a nap. But I want you to sit up and I want you to listen. Because baked into the fabric of this text is a warning for all of us. The warning is this. All of us have a tendency to fall into legalism. And I also want to tell you that baked into us is that tendency. Baked right into human nature, isn't it? So what is legalism? Legalism is this idea that a person is accepted by God on the basis of his or her law keeping. You got that? Legalism sets up a system where our acceptance before God is based on our ability to follow a law, a code of conduct, or a standard of performance and obedience. But here's the thing, legalism's been around forever. I mean, there's actually whole religions based on it. There are Christian and non-Christian forms of legalism. For example, The Roman Catholicism, it advocates for faith in Christ, but it also insists on a sort of form of legalism, Christ plus. And then you have Islam and Buddhism, and they're examples of non-Christian legalism. Pop quiz number one, what do they all have in common? They teach a works-based salvation. They say that to get to heaven or experience nirvana, it's up to you in your good deeds, in your performance, in your capacities. You see, there's a problem with legalism. Legalism doesn't make you friends with God. It doesn't make God happy. Legalism is actually the enemy of your soul. It's the enemy of your destiny and it's your enemy of your relationship with God. Legalism is a big distortion of the gospel. But it's not. It's not actually the only distortion of the gospel, is it? And so if we, here's where we try to think about application, if we are going to try and stand firm in the gospel so that we are ready to stand against all kinds of gospel distortions, then we need to recognize a few of them, don't we? For example, we have religions today that say Jesus was the Son of God, but not really God. We have religions that tell us, stick around long enough, we'll all be little gods someday. We have religions that tell us there are seven sacraments required for salvation. Each of these distorts the gospel. You know what, there are denominations and churches that believe salvation is defined by social justice. Unless you mishear me, we should all be concerned with justice. But when they say your salvation is based in social justice, they have distorted the gospel. We have preachers who turn the gospel into a means for health and wealth. They distort the message of Christ and they deceive people with that message. They distort the gospel. So every form of legalism, every false religion, every gospel distortion offends God. And that's why I would say, and I would be so bold to say, they put you at enmity with God. Are you at peace with God or are you at enmity with God? Well, when I say to live in true freedom, you must stand firm in the gospel. Here's what I'm talking about and here's what I'm doing. I'm saying the word gospel to summarize the work of Christ. That's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm talking about. And when you trust and stand firm in that alone, you are free from the law, free from legalism, free from false religions. And you're also free to have peace with God. And not just have peace, enjoy peace. What a sweet thing that is. So in other words, to stand firm, you must be fully convinced of the work of Christ. Jesus is sent into the world, a world full of people who are hostile, resentful, and hateful to God, and he lives his life perfectly in every respect. He is 100% perfectly pleasing to God the Father above. Nonetheless, his destiny is fulfilled when he dies on a cross, right? And he doesn't die for his sins or his wickedness because he has no sin and he has no wickedness. He dies for our sins and our wickedness, yours and mine. He absorbs all the wrath of God for those who believe in him so that they won't be punished ultimately. Jesus is then raised from the dead by the power of God and the Bible shows us that this is proof that God was satisfied with his work. Romans 5 uh, 5, 5 verse 1 tells us, you know this one, right? Because we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are reconciled to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Justified. What does that big word mean? It means it's your legal right standing before God because you have already been exonerated of all your sins. Set free. Declared innocent of all and every sins. If you trust in Christ and Christ alone. Right? So the believer is justified not because of keeping the works of the law but because of faith in Christ because of Christ's perfections. So only when you are fully and truly convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ will you experience true freedom. Freedom from legalism, freedom from the law, freedom to have peace with God, freedom to enjoy peace with God. So let me say it again. First, to live in true freedom, you must stand firm in the gospel. And this is like the first step up a ladder of freedom. It's like the first rung, there's more isn't there? There's more. So let's move into the second rung of freedom. That is this, to live in true freedom, you must trust in Christ alone for righteousness. Let's move back into our text and and look at Galatians chapter 5. Read verse 5 with me. Galatians 5, 5 says, for through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Pop quiz number two, what does the Christian eagerly anticipate? What are we waiting on? The hope of righteousness. How are we going to work with that phrase? How are we going to understand that phrase? Let me say it this way We have hope because of righteousness. Let me say it a little differently. Because we are righteous before God, we have a hope. And what is that hope? That hope is an eternal salvation, communion with God, fellowship with the Son for eternity. Now, the You get the hope, you understand where the hope is pointed, but I want you to understand that in the Bible, hope is used in the connotation of a certainty, a sureness of something that even though we haven't grasped it yet or seen it yet, it will come to pass. It is a certainty. So that is our hope. We have this hope, this certainty, because we share in the righteousness of Christ. Now there's a lot going on in this passage, I will admit it, so we need to slow down and we need to, we need to put verse four next to verse five. If we just isolate verse five, we'll miss some of the, the key points here. So I'm gonna read four and five, follow along if you will in your Bible. Verse four, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, you might not see it yet, but I hope you will in a moment. In these two verses, there are three massive contrasts. Contrasts that demonstrate why we must trust in Christ alone for righteousness. First, first contrast. There's two groups of people. Do you see in verse 4? You is contrasted with we ourselves in verse 5. Can you see that? You see how these verses point to two different groups of people? You, who are outside the gospel, compared to we ourselves, who are inside the gospel. Two different groups leads to the next contrast. There are two means of justification. The first group, you, want to be justified by the law. The second group, in verse 5, we ourselves, refers to believers. And we are justified through God's spirit by faith. Two different groups, two different means of justification leads to the third contrast. Two different eternal destinies. You see the contrast in verse 4? Fallen from grace contrasted with the hope of righteousness. Those fallen from grace await a certain doom, a certain certain judgment, and an inevitable wrath. God's judgment and punishment for their sin. Why? 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 Because they entrusted themselves to righteousness through the law. But the second group, they have entrusted themselves to Christ. And so they await the hope of righteousness, their eternal reward, their return of Christ. Why? Because they have entrusted themselves to what? The righteousness of Christ. Two groups, two ways of justification two destinies but I don't also want you to lose sight of the fact that this righteousness is connected to faith in verse five verse five doesn't say the name Christ but by faith points to Christ and we can we can pick that up from the context verse one verse two verse four verse six they all reference Christ but Paul has already hit this point earlier in the epistle to the Galatians and his most direct and pointed statement of the gospel is found in Galatians 2.16 which I want us to read. Galatians 2.16 says we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's what it says. Do you feel, do you see the contrast, do you feel the weightiness between faith and works? When you trust alone in Christ for his righteousness, you are set free from the merry-go-round of self-righteous production, self-righteous performance. You may be going around and around right now in your life wondering on this treadmill. Is my life acceptable and pleasing and good enough for God? Well, I can assure you it's not. Not unless you are trusting and counting solely in the full-fledged righteousness of Christ. Are you following me? Then you have a freedom to rest in Christ. To bask in his goodness and his righteousness. So pop quiz number three this one's a little tougher. If you fell into a coma tomorrow and for the next 20 years you couldn't lift a finger to work for God, to work for Jesus, would God be pleased with you? Believer, what do you think? Will God be pleased with and love a person who is physically incapable of doing any work for God's kingdom? If it was you, would he be pleased with you? Going through that, you got kind of a binary response. Yes or no. And some of you, if your answer is no, you haven't fully grasped the reality of Christ's righteousness that is imputed to you. You haven't fully grasped that yet. But if you say yes and you understand then you are freed from the tyranny of self and you are free to rest in Christ. That's the key to living in this kind of freedom, trusting completely in Christ's righteousness and how he presents you before the Father. Let's consider together Rome uh, excuse me 2 Corinthians 5:21, right? Consider the fact that Christ became our righteousness for our sake, he, that's God, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, the son of God, came with a purpose. To share his righteousness with others. Sinner, when you put your faith in Christ, yes, it is absolutely true that your sins are gone. They're forgiven. And you are clean but there's a lot more going on here jesus gives you his righteousness the righteousness of christ and and i want to tell you it's not infused into you slowly over a long period of time it's not like a diffuser in your living room where the smell slowly permeates the whole house no it's imputed to you transferred directly to you into your life by the work of the holy spirit This is what's called positional truth. You are now positionally and eternally made clean and righteous before the Lord God Almighty who sees you through the lens of Christ and his righteousness. So you can trust Christ's righteousness. You can trust his perfect life. You can trust his spotless record. You can trust his perfect obedience to the law on your behalf. You can trust his moral perfection, you can trust his faithful life, you can trust his faithful death, and the reason you can trust him is because he was resurrected and he ascended. Amen. That's why you can rest in Christ. That's how you get free from the merry-go-round of performance and self-doubt. You trust fully in the, Christ, in the righteousness of Christ. To live in true freedom, trust in Christ alone for righteousness. Now we're going to take a little seventh inning stretch here and I'm going to recap where we've covered and where we've traveled so far, right? So in a sense I've talked about the first rung on the ladder of living in true freedom. Stand firm in the gospel and by that I am talking about escape legalism and feel free to enjoy the peace you have with God. Your reconciliation with God. That's that's rung number one up the ladder. Rung number two is this. To live in true freedom you must trust in Christ alone for righteousness. Freedom from the performance and self-doubt that haunts our lives. Freedom to rest in Christ. Now, as we move forward, you're going to notice I kind of fly right over verses 7 through 12. I mean, I would like to talk about verse 7 where it says, uh, where Paul writes about he who hindered you. Which is probably a play on words in the Greek such as something like he who cut in on you which I think is a very interesting turn of phrase in the context of circumcision. I would love to talk about leaven that affects the whole lump. It's kind of like when you put rotten, spoiled milk into your cup of coffee and it tragically ruins your whole cup of coffee. I would like to hit the Judaizer in verse 10, who will bear the severe penalty that Paul talks about. I would love to talk about the offense of the cross in verse 11 because you realize almost everybody who's not trusting in Christ is offended by the cross. And I would like to discuss how Paul suggests that this Judaizer, this person should be emasculated, and he's probably referring to something worse than circumcision. But we must press forward. Let's look at this last rung in the ladder of freedom, and that is this. To live in true freedom, you must love your neighbor. Read with me verses 13 and 14. For you were called to freedom, brothers, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now you might have noticed that in verse 1 we hear about freedom. For freedom Christ has set you free. And you see it again in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. That freedom that we've been placed into defines who we are. But this third rung on the ladder shapes how we live. I hope you're tracking with me. The shape of how we live is given by two commands in verse 13 a negative one and a positive one. Right? First, the negative command do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So you weren't given this freedom in the gospel to throw off all restraint and live for yourself in self-indulgent sins and self-indulgent desires. You are not made so that you can freely sin, and you weren't made free so that you can live and operate, listen closely, with self-love and self-protection as your top and highest priorities. You weren't set free for that. God commands you actually, on the contrary, not to do that. And Paul makes it very clear along the way as you finish the chapter that we do not have this license to sin. So the first command in verse 13 tells us what not to do with our freedom that we have from the law. But the second command comes along and it's a positive command. It tells us what we must do. There it is again. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity of flesh. But, positive command, through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. Did you hear that? brothers and sisters, through love, serve one another. Admittedly, I think this sends a bit of a shockwave through us if we take those words seriously. The idea of serving someone else, that sounds like anything but freedom to me, right? Why is that? Why do we recoil at that? I think the answer is because we have a fundamental misunderstanding about what freedom is. Our understanding is a bit corrupted. We insist that freedom is to live with no constraints imposed on us by any external forces. No constraints at all by anyone at all. And deep down, our culture is permeating this message under the surface, and it keeps popping up, and it insists, listen, that I exist to serve myself, not others. That's what our culture tells us. I exist to serve myself and we recoil at this and yet this is the paradox of christianity isn't it we are set free so that we can become we're set free so that we can become servants of others like christ who came to serve and not be served paul actually helps us understand this in verse 14 when he says for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself how about another contrast contrast that with today's popular culture and ideology where self becomes the most important reference point in the whole universe there are no boundaries on my freedom there's no limits on how i can express myself and everywhere you turn you see self exalted as the ultimate means of expressing freedom that's what the culture tells you. You know, if I go through, and I did go through the Dutch Brothers coffee line, I'm waiting for my coffee, takes a little while, and strike up a conversation with a 20-some one, and he tells me, you do you. That's kind of his parting shot as I leave. I gotta go mow the grass. He says, well, you do you. <laughs> you do you. It's kind of cute. But underneath it is this ideology that says you can express yourself in any way, shape, or flavor you want to because this shows that you are free and if you want to know and if you don't understand why girls want to become boys and boys want to become girls, it's because of this. They believe that defining themselves from the inside out is the highest form of freedom And the culture has come along and told them this lie, and they're believing it, unfortunately, that they can express themselves in ways that contradict nature, contradict DNA, and contradict biology. At the root of all this is a pervasive ideology called expressive individualism. And I will admit, I don't have time to unpack all of that here. But it leads to this idea that the highest freedom is individualistic self-expression. We take all of that, we set it up, and we equate it with freedom. But it's not. It's pushed the idea of freedom far beyond any biblical boundary whatsoever. It serves self, and often it results in harm and bondage. The leading edge of this ideology in our country, in our culture, where we see the fight, is the LGBTQ plus agenda. And without being graphic or disturbing, those drawn into and fooled by this agenda often end up mutilating themselves and harming themselves through medical procedures. Is this real freedom? Freedom. Is this real freedom? The Bible says no. God's word says no. That's not real freedom. If we're going to live in true freedom, we need to love others, which means we're set free from self-love and self-protection. And that ultimately results in a freedom to serve others through love. I hope you can follow the logic behind that. This kind of love to serve others, flows from the throne of grace above. It flows from our triune God. It flows from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It flows in this way. God the Father loves sinners and without needing anything in return from them. He's not looking for a return on his investment. Jesus the Son loves wicked sinners even when he is reviled, rejected, repudiated, ridiculed. The Holy Spirit then comes to the believer and he implants this love into their heart and into their life. And if this kind of love flows from God above through his Son and his Holy Spirit, we should expect to see it on display in the church, shouldn't we? We should expect to see serving one another on display in the church because we have this freedom as believers. We're set free from all that other stuff and we now have a spiritual and mental freedom to actually care for others before ourselves. We have a power through the Holy Spirit by which we are set free to love others. How does that work? What does it look like? What are some examples? I think most of you who've been in church a long time know these, but let me refresh your memory. First of all, we, we have a freedom and we are called to speak the truth in love. And so we are free to benefit one another with a well-spoken word. Furthermore, we encourage one another as long as we travel together in the bonds of Christ, in the unity of Christ. We're called to encourage one another. Furthermore, we exhort one another. We spur each other on to love and good works. A layer deeper than that, we are called and free to address sin in each other's lives. To help each other walk in godliness. That's a beautiful thing when we do it. We also share the gospel. We press the implications of the gospel down into the lives around us. We also bear the burdens of those who are around us. Burdens that are real. Tragedies, difficulties, hard times, sickness, disease. But it doesn't just end there. We help each other. We come alongside each other and we help each other to abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. And so often... We're gonna show preference to one another. We're gonna show preference by putting others ahead of ourselves. All of this, ladies and gentlemen, because you've been set free in Christ. You are called to freedom, freedom from the tyranny of self, self self-protection, self-love, and free to rest and serve one another through love. That's why Paul says, the law is now summed up in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that is why I say, to live in true freedom, you must use your freedom to love your neighbor. It's a lot of freedom. It's a lot of responsibility. We've covered a lot of, day, a lot of ground today, ladies and gentlemen, talking about freedom. We spent a lot of time talking about three essential realities for living in true freedom. And as we went through these 14 verses in chapter five, I called out a number of contrasts. But you know, if you were to go back and read the whole epistle to the Galatians from one end to the other, you would see contrast after contrast. In fact, I'm gonna share some of them with you. And you're gonna read with them on the screen. There's a contrast between flesh and spirit. Between law and faith, between slavery and freedom, between circumcision and Christ, between curse and righteousness, between self and others. These contrasts should reach out and grab you by the throat and ask yourself where do I land? Where do I fit? Are you standing firm? Are you trusting Christ? Are you serving others through life, Uh, excuse me, through love? Where do you land? Let me reiterate. Are you trusting in the flesh, in yourself, or in the law? Or are you standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, when you stand firm in the gospel, you're free from legalism, free from the law, and free from false religions. You're free to enjoy your peace with God. Question 2, are you ensnared or enslaved by the need to perform for God? Or are you trusting in Christ alone for your righteousness? When you trust in Christ alone, you're free from the merry-go-round of performance and self-doubt. You are free to rest in Christ. Number 3, are you bound to love of self, putting yourself at the center of the entire universe? or are you free to serve your neighbor through faith and through love? When you serve your neighbor, you are free from the tyranny of self-love and self-protection. You are free to look out for the best interest of others. Three major freedoms, all rooted and grounded and based in the loving kindness of God our Father who sent the Lord Jesus Christ. So saint, believer, I exhort you, I exhort you in the strongest terms, stand firm in the glorious gospel. Stand firm in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Cling to Christ for righteousness and help. Lose yourself in loving others. And you will have a true and experience a true freedom. But sinner, I have words for you too. I urge you, listen to the gospel Listen to the good news of salvation. Listen to the hope of righteousness, the promise of forgiveness. Listen to the account of Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Turn to Christ. Turn to Jesus and trust in him alone. Put your faith in the work and ministry of Jesus. Look to Jesus for your righteousness and you will find true freedom. Sinner, trust Christ. Find freedom. Let's pray. God our Father in heaven above, will you take your word and internalize it in our hearts? Will you take it as a sharp and living active sword that is able to pierce bone from marrow and soul from spirit and do the work that needs to be done inside of us, we pray. Lord, for those who do not know you, may they come now to a loving, living, trusting faith in Christ by the power of your spirit. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.